and welcome to the 10th episode of the McMaster Communications Governance Observatory podcast. My name is Samantha Naidu, and for this episode, we will be discussing Bill C-10. We have two episodes to cover the topic of Bill C-10. Our first episode is with Bill Skolnick and Natalie Gay from the Coalition for Diversity of Cultural Expressions, or the CDCE. To introduce our guests, Bill is the co-chair of the CDCE and a representative of the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, previously CEO and executive director of DGC Ontario, where he led all labor negotiations, policy initiatives, and member services with the DGC Ontario team. Prior to his arrival at DGC Ontario, he was the head of the Canadian Federation of Musicians, a founding member of the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, a trustee of the Musicians Pension Fund of Canada, and treasurer of the Radio Producers Association of Canada. Bill is an expert in developing groundbreaking provisions that affect musicians, composers, and producers working in the Canadian screen-based and theatre industries. Natalie is the executive director of the CDCE. She has been interested for the past 20 years in collective actions emanating from civil society in a context of globalization. She worked for 10 years at the Confédération des Syndicats Nationaux, first as a research advisor, then as assistant to the executive committee in charge of national relations. During her career, Natalie has served on many boards of directors in Quebec, as well as in international organizations. She is also the General Secretary of the International Federation of Coalitions for Cultural Diversity. Bill and Natalie, welcome to this episode. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, to dive right in, uh, first we'd like to get to know a little bit more about the coalition. So we were wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what the Coalition for Diversity of Cultural Expressions is and what you do. Well, I can begin. The coalition began for the purpose of promoting the convention of for the Coalition for the Diversity of Cultural Expressions. And it was promotion of that that idea that came out of the 2005 convention from UNESCO, which believes that the the world's cultures, the world's religions, the world's languages, the world's literature have to be saved and have to be promoted. And uh, people are truly only free and able to express themselves if they have the ability to do it in their own, with their own stories, with their own means. And this country was a leader, Canada was a leader in promoting that international legislation or convention and was the first signatory to the treaty, to the, well, to the convention. And uh, there was a, a strong movement in this country, particularly from the province of Quebec, who were big leaders in that, as you can imagine, because we were the laboratory for, the, for this uh, experiment or desire. And it was picked up on all sides and promoted. And I think this country can be very proud of the fact that we have such a lead role in it and we continue to have a lead role at UNESCO in this. So that's the origin. Uh, the organization looks after the interests and it's quite unique in this way of, of the industry, the cultural and the entertainment industry, and to a great extent, the communications industry. And because of that, it's an amalgamation of, of syndicates, unions, trade associations, of guilds, of uh, in some cases, individual corporations and companies, publishers, writers, artists of all sorts. It's everybody. People that sit across the table from each other in bargaining 
get together at our table and agree and, and develop consensus. And we're looking after uh, the protection and the promotion, that's the word I was trying to remember, the protection and promotion of cultural diversity in this country and also around the world because we take a leading role in the International Association. There are a number of them around the world. And, and uh, Natalie is the, the secretariat for that. She's the civil service for that and, and very good one. So uh, we also look at things like trade to make sure that um, trade is exempt uh, cultural events and cultural activities, cultural products are exempt from trade legislation. We have an abiding interest in copyright as well to protect artists and protect companies as well, publishers and producers. Uh, again, to protect the integrity and promote uh, the, the notion of cultural diversity. Natalie. Well, I was about to say that, you know, you can uh, to, to, to present it a little bit uh, in a different manner. You could say that in the age of globalization, uh, our movement, which is worldwide, as Bill explained, is uh, was there to uh, protect and promote the diversity of cultural expressions uh, in the context of uh, trade negotiations. And now in the context, you know, of uh, the, uh, the streaming and the uh, uh, increased transition of cultural activities online. So so that's why in the last year we've identified the revision of the Broadcasting Act and the revision of the Copyright Act as one of the top priorities of our organization. Okay, and speaking about the revision of the Broadcasting Act, so with all of this wealth of knowledge and experience, I'd like to ask you both what you think the purpose of Bill C-10 is. Well, the, the government's purpose is, it is, is uh, set out in the preamble to the legislation itself. But essentially, it's to revise an act, a broadcasting act that is over 30 years old and is really behind the times. Barely at that time did it uh, look after cable and satellite portions of, of the broadcasting. And there was, no, there was no thought, let alone regulation or consideration of digital circulation, digital distribution. This act is designed to do a number of things. It's designed to bring that group of broadcasters, and that's how we turn them. They're called broadcast undertakings is the, is the phrase used in the act. And it encompasses the digital world as well as the conventional world and uh, which would be conventional over the, of conventional television and satellite uh, uh, television as well, and cable. Uh, it, it seeks to bring them into the same fold for regulation as the traditional broadcasters. It seeks to get information for from statistics and for audit purposes and for um, making sure that regulations are fair and uh, information is reported just as everybody else has to do under the CRTC regulations. Uh, it seeks to make it uh, an even playing field when it comes to the promotion and the contribution of Canadian talent and Canadian production. Those are the three main elements of this act. Mostly it's like bring it into the 21st century if you want, and, and it, it's sorely needed. There was an opportunity many, many years ago, maybe about a, we, a number of us fought for this, about a dozen years ago, where we had gone as individual organizations, I can't remember if, if, the, if the coalition did, and said to the CRTC, this, these people are broadcasters. In my view, the CRTC abrogated its responsibility at that time. They had the ability, people forget that, they had the ability to, uh, to um, regulate to say, yes, this is part of communications, we have the right to regulate. They denied it. And now we have this problem. If they had gone back 
probably like a dozen years ago and looked at this, and we all knew it was coming. We wouldn't be in this fix today and need this massive piece of legislation. And that's what it is. And it's just like trying trying to bring everything into uh, up to order, up, up to speed, uh, to recognize what the modern world is right now. It's going on around the world, by the way. We're not the first, we're not the last. It was very thorough. And I think um, that point that you mentioned, that it's kind of just doing what kind of always needed to be done, that we're, we're a little bit behind, but we're trying to catch up now. There's two parts to Bill C-10 that seem like they could have been used maybe all those years ago. And one of them is discoverability, and the other one is this concept of a mandated financial contribution to Canadian content. So I'd like to focus on the financial contribution first, and then we'll go to discoverability. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on, I guess, the concept of a mandated financial contribution to Canadian content and how that fits in with Bill C-10. Well, mandated contributions to culture in this country have a history that even precedes the, the CRTC and its forerunner. I mean, you could say it started with the formation of from the Massey Commission of the Canada Council, for example. So governments at all three levels, uh, provincial, federal, and municipal, have a history of looking at the arts, looking at culture and saying, yeah, we need to support this. We, we need to make sure it continues. The broadcasting policy has taken a specific look at this and has said, uh, this is vital. And not only have they done it, but the governments have said it. Successive governments, there may be issues about how much and who gets it and so on and so forth, but no government, including the most conservative government has ever said, stop it entirely. None of them have. And so there's a, there's a consensus that has been built over decades to do this. What the contribution, there are two aspects to, uh, if, you will, if we term them contributions that come out of the, of, of the act. And, and again, it's an expansion of, these, of this concept as opposed to an imposition. The concept is that there must be an obligatory uh, spending on Canadian content, Canadian production. And it goes so far as to say in the old legislation that networks can't do it. They have to allocate a certain amount, can be up to 30% in some cases, uh, to um, Canadian content. And it, it goes into specific details in it. For example, to distinguish between reality television and drama and something that is called the PNI, Programs of National Interest. But the point is, is that there's an obligation to use Canadian talent, to use Canadian producers uh, for the creation of, of this product. Um, that's one aspect. The second aspect is the mandatory um, uh, payment on, of uh, fees to funds like the Canadian Media Fund and in music's cases and sometimes music gets glossed over because everybody's so used to visual stuff but music is this has been vitally and, and wonderfully served by this policy in fact um, you know what you know what the, the awards are called for music they're called the Junos and they're named after a CRTC chair Pierre Juno who came up with J-U-N-E-A-U, not J-U-N-O, but that's why we have that name in recognition of his contribution. That's the essence of the contribution. And uh, that says, um, not only do you have to play, Canadians want to hear, do, not, do you not only have to play Canadian content, but you must contribute financially to the, to the promotion and the creation of Canadian content. And that's through all broadcasters. So different funds are, 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 are uh, created. And in fact, the Canadian Media Fund 
has suffered in the last couple of years because of the demise of cable television and uh, other aspects of its funding. And it's, it's suffered because they've lost, they've lost market to the digital uh, exhibitors and distributors who don't pay anything right now. And the government has had to come up or has determined to come up uh, to even the, even the, uh, even the, the, the plate, well, to, to, to make the, the funds workable again by providing money that, was, that is no longer there through the private sector. So this is an effort of, with this legislation to, as they say, level that playing field and say, you have digital distributors and exhibitors, you have the same responsibility because you are a broadcaster that every other broadcaster has had since practically for, well, for decades, as I said. And again, the, the, the symbol of the Juno Awards. Another, another, I think, important uh, part of this is, yes, leveling the playing field is a key thing, but uh, filling the value gap is also another key element of, uh, of the issue. You know, it's not just to be fair, it's that uh, some, some of the value that is created uh, starting from cultural contents is as being, uh, as being uh, taken by tech companies and other organizations, other enterprises in the sector, such as telecommunication companies. So just maybe to give you an idea, these numbers are coming from uh, ADISC. What they say, what they use to be able, you know, to finance the complete cost of production of an album by selling 15,000 units. When there was a switch to uh, digital tracks and digital albums that people were still buying them, they had to, st they had to sell about 18 units 18,000 units, you know, to be able to finance the whole production. So 15,000 units, 18,000 units. With streaming, you need 30 million stream to be able to finance the whole cost of, uh, you know, the album. So another number is provided by Soka, uh, which would say that, uh, you know, three to five times lower lower royal royalties than traditional media so that's you know the numbers in the music sector you know this this is a little bit the numbers that we're uh, playing with and and you know those 30 million streams is that like many uh, many artists in Quebec and in Canada are reaching that 1 million and more but 30 million is still a high number you know so it takes a lot you know to be able to be to to finance you know the cost of development and production of uh, um, of albums now and uh, the other thing is also to be able to be found so you're now like your songs are on a platform where where you have like more than 50 million songs you know so if you don't get played you don't get paid so that's the whole issue about discoverability is just making sure that our music and our contents online can have a visibility that we use to promote by other means in the traditional world so it's not about copying or bringing the the, the innovations in the old system but just trying to translate concepts like quotas into um into to discoverability targets, you know, because you, you you cannot like in the music sector ask for quotas. It doesn't make sense because all the music is there. It's just a matter of promoting it and making sure that it's proposed and it and it get and it get to the you know to the user. Um, 
uh, get really to the user. So you had before some strategies in the music stores like uh, to, uh, to, to promote local artists with uh, uh, flyers, with posters, with special sections. Well, this is, this is a little bit the idea is to try to have those shelves and to have those tools of promotion in the online online environment and it's not just the algorithm but the presentation the way you can uh, present stuff in the first uh, in the first uh, page of the application or on the top of it or all those strategies you know so that's a little bit the idea in terms of uh, discoverability requirements in discoverability too there's an important distinction nobody's saying you got to listen to this in effect you know with television and radio they are saying that it's important that you hear canadian music and if you want to listen to other music, you still got to hear Canadian music. Discoverability doesn't do that. Discoverability says, here's the choice. Doesn't obligate you to listen. Doesn't obligate it to be played by the platform. It's just there. It just says, here's what you have in your own country. Here's what you have in your own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. In effect, there's, there's, uh, I told a story about a fellow from Quebec, a new release, and he was shocked to find out that uh, even though he did all the standard publicity, I think maybe this happened three, four weeks ago, he put new releases in, he put it in a dub, dub, number of search engines, um, Spotify or whatever, nothing came up with his name, nothing, a Canadian. And he didn't get it. He didn't understand why. And he's right. This should not be. If you put new releases in Canada this week, how come his stuff didn't come up? International releases came up, but his didn't. We're trying to fix that. I mean, not us. The legislation is trying to, to recognize that. Okay. And so I guess just to build off of that a little bit, what kind of impact do you think discoverability will have on Canadian artists and maybe a certain subset of Canadian artists who don't currently have that promotion right now? Well, I think first it's going to bring more transparency on the work of those algorithms. And I think this is an important aspect. Like what we're interested in is getting the results like what are the criteria that do they take into account? Because right now they do take into account some criteria. It's not neutral. The proposal that you get when you're on YouTube and listening to videos are designed like to make you stay on YouTube as long as possible. And that has been proven by many research. So you'll be proposed longer videos or more popular videos to make sure that you stay online as much as possible. So these are uh, criteria that answers to private interests. What we're trying to do there is say, okay, regarding cultural content, what are the public interest criteria that could be put in place in the algorithm? So you you have you know uh, other criteria that are taking into account. But I'm, I I think the discussion about that is wider, and you know there's a lot of literature on how algorithms can be biased and all that. So I think there's a there are some issues, you know, of uh, what you get to see and how does your voice get heard actually in the current environment. So Bill C10 is not about like make it more difficult for you to get to express yourself. It will open a door where you can see a little more what the algorithm is doing and then adding other criteria that are not solely private interest criteria in the receipt. I think I think what's what's important here is that we don't know anything about discoverability. We don't we don't know much about algorithms, and this isn't just confined to broadcasting a cultural product, as Natalie's suggesting. 
It's about AI. It's about all sorts of things. <clears throat> the analogy would be at the beginning of the 20th century, there were monopolies that were broken up uh, by anti-combines legislation because the government recognized that the consumer was absolutely not being the normal person served by this combination of companies that determined everything with respect to your energy, with respect to transportation. So the, the interest of the individual was looked after. We're in effect saying discoverability. We need to have statistics. We need to have the research. We, and, and by the way, also within, the, within the, the legislation, there's the means of reviewing this every couple of years to make sure that uh, the, the, the uh, regulations are uh, appropriate. So they aren't too um, stringent and they're not too loose because there's a recognition that this is new territory. And there's also a recognition that these are multinational companies pretty much centered in the United States. And let's face it, there's a history of multinational companies centered in the United States, plus other places, you know, European companies too, of taking over and becoming monopolistic. This is preventive. This is research. So we need, we must have the tools in order to uh, determine wh what is taking place and how to go forward to protect not just artists, but the public from uh, the very things that we saw at the beginning of the 20th century. So logically, you know, if there's more discoverability of Canadian content in the music sector, artists and producers and all rights holders will have uh, higher royalties because they will be played more you know than they are actually so that's a concrete conditions and also and not only the living conditions you know the the uh, the uh, investment in uh, in funds in the in the ecosystem that employs people you know in canada more than 700,000 people work in the cultural sector it's about the three percent of the gdp at least before the pandemic hit so uh as about like a, a huge part of the activities in the cultural sector have transitioned online with the pandemic. So it's even more important now to get like to the legislation that will be able to uh, give visibility and have more contributions, you know, for uh, the cultural sector. Another key figure is the 70 million uh, investments that will be made into the into the cultural sector if Bill Seaton passes. And that's a uh, a figure calculated roughly on um, what it would mean in terms of uh, Canadian uh, investment requirements into Canadian programs and also contribution to funds. So that's uh, that's a lot of uh, of money, and you can. You know, some people are saying, well, it's the golden age for uh, TV uh, in Canada. Uh, yes, there are many, many investments, but uh, a, a very important part of them are service production. That says shows being developed in Hollywood or other countries, but mostly in the U.S. And they hire uh, um, some artists, some, uh, some creators or technical resources here in Canada. But, you know, the intellectual property and the value isn't Canadian. And the other thing is that, you know, the uh, cost per, of production per
per per per hour has raised a lot because there is so much you know like a service production and production in general like a, there's a, a lack of resources in terms of a studio of people and all that and, a, and and there's a big tendency of investing much more uh, money per episode now than before so these costs are really rising but it doesn't mean that more uh, Canadian uh, productions are being produced actually it's quite the contrary in certain uh, categories such as dramat, uh, dramas and all that which are so relevant you know for building our identity because and there I enter into another dimension you know we've talked a little bit about the economy around the cultural sector but our, our reason to exist is not as a coalition is not for uh, the economy of the cultural sector it is also because the, the culture has a, such an important contribution to our uh, identity, our social cohesion, it's fundamental. We are distinct and there's a lot of diversity in Canada, but Canada is also distinct from other places and, and the world is a very better and richer places if we're not all the same with the same reference. And so it is so important and, and many people will say, oh, it's it's Quebec thing, you know, or francophone issue, but I think it's not, it's not. You don't get like uh, the same, like when you look at social, uh, societal trends or issues, you know, in Canada and the US, you have some big difference. So I, I think that part of the reason why is because we have a different culture and that is so important uh, for the social cohesion and, and, and to be able to develop as a, um, as a as a as an independent nation, you know. I'd like to add that seventy million dollar that Natalie mentioned. That seventy million dollar figure is a monthly figure. Okay, it's yeah. monthly, and it's you. You know, you're asking, what will the will it help? This isn't even a mystery. I mean, we know what what the Canadian content um, regulations did with for the music industry. It 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 blossomed. It boomed. All the stars you see today, there's not one that wouldn't deny that they got help from that from that beginning. It's an investment. We have, oh, I don't know, a couple of dozen programs, that, that TV programs that are being sold internationally around the world that are being seen everywhere. How do they get help? They got help from the Canadian media. How do they, uh, and, and other private funds that, see, money kicks in after other money. You get this fund and somebody says, okay, I got a private fund, I'm gonna do this. It's all a house of cards. And we're extending that house of cards to the digital universe as well. That's all. It's just the way the world is for broadcasting now, it's not separate. It's part of communications and communications in this country, frankly, in the entire world from time immemorial have been regulated and looked to, pr to promote the, the culture and the life of the entire country. And I guess to uh, shift gears a little bit, but still stay on the topic of Bill C-10, I'm curious to hear uh, your thoughts on the social media platforms, especially with the platform kind of exemption and kind of how Bill C-10 fits in with YouTube specifically, maybe streaming music specifically, and how what kind of impact that will have on creators. Well, YouTube is the, uh, I guess you'd call it the main streamer of music in this country more important or bigger than Spotify or Apple. And uh, it's um, to, to suggest that it's this community broadcaster is honestly not something we accept. It isn't. 
It is a conventional broadcaster when it comes to releasing music, breaking music, breaking, that's, a, that's the term that's used in the industry, breaking a record, uh, opening it up. So our suggestions and the government's amendments have, and other parties' amendments have sought to recognize this and say, you know, we have to differentiate between what YouTube does uh, for um, the uploading of, of all sorts of information that has nothing to do with uh, its function as a network, its function as a, a displayer and streamer of commercial product from our artists and frankly, from all artists. This is an issue around the world uh, to, in, in a lot of countries. I think, you know, somebody's have said, some people have said, oh, only Canada's doing this. Only Canada's looking at this. You know what? We are the pioneers and we're gonna be copied. We're the leaders. And other people are gonna look at this and they're gonna say, yeah, we got to look after the music in West Africa too. We got to look at the music in South Asia too. We got to make sure that we're not inundated. We are leaders and uh, we're proud of that. So that's the essence of, of why we're concerned about the regulation for YouTube, Natalie. Yeah, but it, it is also, you know, internationally, you've seen Australia uh, uh, enforce the regulations, you know, to uh, social medias like Facebook, for instance, for the for journalism. So it's not like a, it's it's not the same thing, of course. But the principle is just saying you're a big part of the ecosystem. Bill said it like 49% of the of music listened to in the in, in the streaming environment is is uh, 49 percent takes place on youtube so you know you would regulate spotify you would regulate cube uh, cube music you would regulate radio station but you wouldn't regulate like like the the service where half of canadian goes to listen to music that wouldn't make sense you know and just today just today i've read an article saying that bell media has a, has a concluded a partnership with tiktok you know to uh, to produce uh, to, to showcase uh, much music uh, online yeah. you know so it's it's just another development and we will see more and more on the of these development on social media so um and and you know bill c10 defines like uh, three three ways in which like uh, the crtc can um can regulate social media so it's not about regulation of content and it's not about regulation of users content or users this is very clear in the act so the crdc will only be able to do four things it, it can require youtube to register and to provide information that the crtc will define as important in order to be able to regulate it properly third it can it can identify some levies that YouTube will have to make into a Canadian media fund or Factor or Music Action or whatever funds that it should contribute in. And four, it would define some discoverability requirements for Canadian creators. That's it. It cannot define some norms of emissions that we will see on YouTube. And it regulates, you know, the C10 regulates on only companies, enterprises, it doesn't regulate individuals. And it has never in its story, you know, uh, banned or censored some programs on radio or on TV. So it's, it's really important to keep this in mind. And I think the other 
safeguards that are in place that are worth mentioning uh, is is a um, is a mention in the in the actual act. If you read the Broadcasting Act as it is right now, it says like the CRTC must comply with the with freedom of expression, defending freedom of expression when it regulates uh, broadcasting undertakings. And this language is still there in uh, with BC10, and it's been reinforced at various places. But just remember, users are specifically excluded. Okay, on Article Two Point One. And then the only the only obligations that will apply to social media will be applied to enterprises, undertakings as defined uh, within the act. So there's no way it's gonna uh, have any effect on freedom of expression. And that was reiterated by many experts. And just this week, there was a letter of 14 prominent lawyers in experts of uh, broadcasting and telecommunication sectors that wrote a letter to uh, the prime minister to say that there's no way that it, it's going to have any impact and that we need, like the whole sector need this legislation to be implemented as soon as possible. Okay, so for my next question, which was about freedom of speech, just to reiterate, it is not affecting individual content creators at all. This is mostly for broadcasters, enterprises, organizations. It is. It's not, you know, there's no way like the CRTC will come to a creator and say, you cannot say that, or you have to be more funny in your post, or you're not, you know, Canadian enough. Like the CRTC will define what is a Canadian creator. Like, let's look at that when it will do, and there will be public hearings and everybody will have something to say about that. Uh, but it, it will promote the Canadian creators. It will like it. It can only be good for Canadian creators, you know. And 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 it doesn't mean that YouTube will only have to promote Canadian creators as well. You know, we'll still be uh, having in our feeds creators from other countries, which is uh, very important and very good. But it's just that within all the recommendation that we will get, some of them will now be Canadian. I don't know if it's something that you experience we have kids here at home and sometimes they can spend hours on youtube and not a single proposal will be made you know in french from canada okay it's gonna be in french from france or it's gonna be in english but like zero content and i and i watch like a, a many times and zero content promoted uh feedback and many contents uploaded there so so that's that's the issue that we want to uh to tackle there, there is a discussion as to whether Canadian content, uh, the, the definition of it, the, the legal definition of it uh, in both video and, and audio needs to be reassessed. I mean, everybody, frankly, believes it needs to be reassessed and, and there's no consensus yet as to where it should go. Um, the, the letter that Natalie was referencing, and let me read you some of it. Um, this is from these lawyers. Opponents of the bill have argued that giving the commission any powers over these services would amount to censorship. This is simply false and completely ignores the following. The commission is not being given any powers to infringe on Canadians' charter rights. This is clearly outlined in the Department of Justice's update to the charter statement, and we agree with the conclusion. Bill C-10 would restrict the powers the commission would have over social media services to mandating financial contributions to support Canadian programming or the recovery of regulatory costs. 
Discoverability, so Canadian creators can be more easily discovered and promoted online. Registration, so the Commission knows which services are operating in Canada and audit powers to ensure compliance with all of these powers. And users, and this is really important, who upload content to these social media services would not be subject to the Act as specified, as Nelly has said, in proposed section 2.1. Moreover, the commission would not have the power to constrain the content on social media services, set program standards for these services, or the proportion of programs on these services that must be Canadian. That's, that's really important. So you could have, you know, 99% come from Togo. And so what? It's, it's the content does, if, if, if those people get on, it doesn't matter. It's discoverability, which matters. Okay. I think it's good to hear it from the letter as well and have that kind of in writing here. Um, and I guess talking about discoverability, we touched on auditing algorithms a little bit before, uh, but as we've talked about, the Yale report has mentioned that they believe that algorithms should be audited by the CRTC. So I was curious if you had any additional thoughts on auditing algorithms and how it might work as a, a means to a positive end and how that will affect creators. Well, again, I don't have an opinion personally in order to the, the coalition with respect to what the results of the audit, to us, we, we prefer to look at it as a means, um, um, a tool that the CRTC will require in order to fulfill their other functions. So the answer to your question will be found once they do the audit, actually, uh, if they're given that ability. And that, again, this is not unusual to give a regulatory body the right to do this. Uh, in order to do it, it's deemed uh, according to this legislation, and this comes from the, the Ministry of Heritage, uh, and it says that uh, look, they're going to need this ability uh, in order to fulfill this function. So to me, it's it's neither it's not controversial at all. It wants you to say you you need them to look after this aspect of Canadian life of broadcasting. This is uh, like you can't. There's no point giving somebody a nail if you don't give them a hammer. And this is like I, I just want to reinforce like uh, the 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 importance to have more transparency because there's like an assumption from the critics of Bill C10 that right now there is a, a neutrality in the way recommendations are made or just based on your personal uh, uh, personal taste and all that which is false. There's been a lot of you know research that have indicated like all those algorithms are are operating sometimes or what are the criterias that are being taken into account. So there's really a need to be a reflection on uh, you connect to a site, of course, you accept like the conditions of the determined conditions, but this is very, you know, when you talk about a monopoly, this is really hard, you know, not to accept those terms of conditions. And like, you know, we know how it works. Everybody accept that them and all. But I think that it would be very good for people to uh, to, to be able to enter in what we call those black box and to have more information about the criteria that are actually used, you know, to orient the 
the content which will be proposed to you and discoverability the way it is uh, the way it is um, tackled within c10 is just a part you know of all the possibilities and the issues and the challenges that are out there there are many more and eventually you know uh, being able for creators to have access to the results you know of uh, of the algorithms with regards to their own content would be very interesting also to better know their audience or the reactions to 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 some of it you know right now this is a privilege of uh, the big tech companies that are that are the only one to have access to those results. So I think there's a huge call for more democratization of the work of the algorithms right now, and it's legitimate. And C10 is not able to address all these issues. And as we can measure the challenges that C10 faces to get through all steps to become a legislation, like maybe another project or, or you know, another act would have been better, but how can we not try to advance now and perhaps review it in the future or create other legislation that will complement the Broadcasting Act in that field so we can start to improve the conditions of artists, creators and enterprises in the cultural ecosystem as soon as possible? Yes, I, it seems very important to know the criteria so that you can advocate for yourself. If you don't even know why your content isn't being shown, why it's not on Spotify, then you can't advocate to these companies like, hey, I need to be on here. It's just like sit and open a first trench into this opaque black box and say, like, let's let's dig in right there and Hopefully, other breaches will be made by other legislation or other initiatives that give us that will ultimately give us all a better clarity on what is uh, on on what the work of these <laughs> uh, recipients. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so on that note, as a very final question, I'm curious to hear what you both think should be kept, should be removed, um, or should be maybe added to Bill C10. We've made various recommendations when Bill C10 was first tabled. We have um, eight broad categories, you know, uh, to keep the Canadian character of the whole system, uh, not to change uh, so much the requirements to use uh, Canadian talents, uh, to um, straighten the, the wording around um, original uh, French language production, all the, these type of things. Many of those recommendations have been uh, accepted. Some of them were not retained uh, by the uh, um, committee members that pushed them forward. Uh, we would like, like uh, to, to come today, there will be perhaps the last committee meeting in which they will vote on the remaining uh, amendments. Hopefully there will be an amendment to uh, enlarge the, the decisions on which organizations like ours, but other civil society organizations can also ask the governor in council to ask the CRTC to review one of its decision because it, would be, uh, it wouldn't be compliant with the Canadian uh, broadcasting policy. So we hope that there will be a change to that. It's not perfect. We've said it many times, but many amendments were made. And at the end of the day, we'll be able to evaluate if uh, C10 is, is, is good or how good it is and, and the balance you know, between waiting 
more years, you know, to get an actual legislation or pushing for C10 to become legislation as quickly as possible and then eventually review in the future because ahead of us, if C10 becomes a legislation, there will be months, if not years of work at the CRTC to design some concrete regulations that will eventually create some effects in our ecosystems. If we delay and if there's an election, well, you have, you'll have a new minister that will get accumulated and, and it's gonna take long before another act, uh, another bill is proposed in the house and then it will have to follow the same process. So we're, We've been ask, asking this for years, 20 years, more more than 20 years now. And I think it's, it's we need to get something now. We need to get some changes in our ecosystems, like the unbalance and the value gap has created a lot of damage. And if we want to make sure that um, our cultural sectors are able to pass through the current challenges and that were uh, um that are even more acute now with the pandemic, we really need to act. Yeah, I would, I, just to, to uh, fortify that a little bit, our concerns from the beginning have been with respect to the process of appeal and review of decisions that are making. I, despite what our opponents feel, we're, we don't think that the, uh, what's there right now is as, it's not as expeditious as we think it should be. And in fact, the old, uh, act or the existing act has means of, of review, which uh, we think may be better. So that's a concern that we have. Um, but it's a very convoluted or difficult question, technical question. And we had some issues as well with some licensing aspects that are mentioned, and they have been addressed in committee. Uh, I'm not sure we got very far with those. We, we'd like people uh, to have the opportunity talking about broadcasters and producers uh, to not have a sort of Damocles hanging over their head if they're uh, with respect to their license, so they get a, they have a, a, a the opportunity to 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 take part in production and to be able to plan. So, but uh, th these again are very technical and have to do with time and and process of review of the regulations and the powers that that both the cabinet, the governor and council, and the CRTC have. Okay, thank you. That was my final question. Um, do you have any last words or any final thoughts that you want to share with everyone before we, we finish up? Just that artists have been hit doubly hard. And, and I think uh, Natalie's description of how musicians in particular, composers, have been hit by the digital revolution. And I mean, we, we have a saying that at one time when you, when you sold an album, you could buy a car. Now you're lucky to be able to get a car wash. And on top of that, COVID-19 has taken away the ability for uh, performers and, and artists who are in the live area. Again, all musicians are in the live portion of it and, and actors too. And this is an opportunity for the government to resurrect them, to, to bring them back to life and to say, um, we're going to re we're going to reward you if you get on digital. We're going to help you get on digital. We're going to help. We're going to do something. And we think that the faster we do this, the faster they will be able to recover, and therefore, the faster the, the Canada will recover. Because when you make life better for an artist, you make life better for the whole country. You really do. I mean, that's what they do. They they bring us to life, and that's what we're trying to do. Get, it, get them there faster. And this legislation will do it. 
not supporting it, stifling it, making it wait another five years, it's going to send a lot of them out of the entire industry. And they already have left. We have figures on that too. So we're really hopeful that people will recognize the, the need, the need to support Canadian artists in all the provinces and territories to get them back on their feet. Thank you to Bill and Natalie for agreeing to be on the podcast today. They both have a wealth of knowledge and experience, and I definitely learned a lot. As always, thank you for tuning in to the newest episode of the CGO podcast. You can find more episodes on cgo.humanities.mcmaster.ca. See you next time.